All right, well, good morning, everyone. I'm, as she said, I'm Pastor Brad. I pastor at Stony Baptist Church over there in Pack Science, just a little ways away. And uh, I've been there since about 2019. And ever since uh, we came here, we, I've, me and my wife have just been really good friends with Anna, so we're always grateful. Uh, I'm always grateful to be here and uh, lead you through some devotions. As she said, I was all ready to go a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago, ready to talk about Joshua and the true and better Jesus and all that, or Joshua, Jesus is the true and better Joshua, I should say. Uh, but uh, happy to switch gears. Uh, to Samson. He is a great figure. Uh, And so I wanted to do this morning is kind of just give you a big broad overview of Samson's life and how we can see Christ in it. That's one of the things if you get to know me, uh, I'm always about taking everything that we find in the Bible and bringing it back to Jesus, how it relates to Jesus, how it shows us Jesus, how it should get us to anticipate Jesus. Uh, And I think actually Samson does that Really, really well. And in fact, I would say that there's probably no other character in the entire Bible that is more compelling uh, than Samson himself. He is this guy, as you perhaps have, if you remember from your Sunday school days, he's always depicted as this like buff, ripped, jacked guy with long hair. He's almost like the Bible's version of a superhero. Uh, Whenever you see Samson, he is always just this completely just decked out guy. Uh, really buff. He's like Hercules of the Old Testament. And all of, all of the events of his life, all of his escapades and his exploits, uh, they can really easily make us think that Samson is some sort of uh, like ancient comic book hero. Uh, the things that he accomplished in his life are very just outlandish. They seem super heroic. And, and for instance... I'll just rattle through some of these things that happen in his life. You can read these in Judges 13 through 16 is where his life is found. Um, one time in, in chapter 14, he ripped a lion into two pieces with his bare hands. And then in another time, in the same chapter, he massacres 30 men all by himself. And then another time, uh, I love this story, in chapter number 15, he, he captures 300 foxes, he ties their tails in a knot, and then he lights their tails on fire, only to let them go, let them roam free and wild across the countryside of the Philistines. And then another time, uh, Samson takes uh, a jawbone of a donkey and kills 1,000 soldiers with just that jawbone. And then another time, in chapter 16, we'll talk about this later, he takes the, the gates off of the door of Gaza, clean off of their hinges, and carries them up Mount Hebron just kind of to prove a point, just kind of to say, this is what I can do. This is, this is Samson. <laughs> You could very easily take those, those little vignettes of his life and, and create a comic book story um, out of those scenes. These scenes are very alluring. They're very captivating. They're very compelling. But actually, you would be very mistaken if you envied Samson. Because Samson's story and his life is not a life and a story to envy, to be drawn to. And actually, we should understand Samson's life story as perhaps the Bible's most cautionary tale. And it becomes, this becomes really, really clear if you contrast the way his life ends with the way it begins. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Judges 16. Uh, that's where I'll be predominantly. But uh, I want you to notice how his life ends. Um, Judges 16, look at verse 20. We find this. 
And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson, she being Delilah there. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. This moment, of course, constitutes the end of what we're going to talk about a little bit, this back and forth between Samson and Delilah, where finally uh, he reveals his secret, and then the Philistines capture him, and they, they make Samson into sort of their, their court jester there, humiliating him. But the, the, the emphasis here is to notice just how drastically far away this moment in time is with Samson here uh, sort of performing the function of, uh, of, of a regular farm animal grinding away in a mill just for the sake of the the Philistines pleasure noticing that and contrasting that with how his his life began because it's a million miles away from where his life began if you go back to chapter 13 of of judges Samson's birth is here recorded for us we're given sort of a nativity if you will of of, of Samson it's always accompanied by lots of of hope uh, lots of just tremendous exhilaration. He was supposed to represent the, the deliverer of Israel. In fact, his birth, you could, I'm not going to read these verses for sake of time, but if you read verses 1 through 7 of Judges 13, you'll, you'll find a lot of very striking similarities between Samson's birth and the birth of, of Jesus there's an, there's an angel who announces his birth, and this announcement is to a woman uh, for whom pregnancy seems very far-fetched. It seems very, very not possible. Um, Samson's mom was barren up until this point. Also, you have in this scene a husband who's sort of just beside himself. He's unable to sort of wrap his mind around the fact that his wife is now pregnant. Not to mention that all of this announcement of his birth, this announcement of Samson's nativity here in, in chapter 13, is just filled with notes of, of hope and salvation and deliverance that this soon-to-be-born son would, would bring with him. And so, for a moment, just... For a moment in time, just consider this and, and try to not let what you know about Samson sort of cloud out the excitement that it, it comes at the announcement of his birth. Look at verse, let's just read this. Look at verse 24 of chapter 13. It says, And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Menahadan between Zorah and Eshtael. So here you have this excitement, this thrill, this hope. All of this promise is, is infused into the birth of Samson. And a couple of other details is, which make this interesting. that This is the only example in the book of Judges where we have a, a detailed account of that particular judge's birth. Which again further suggests sort of the, the divine promise that's connected to Samson. But also it's, it, this birth comes at a time when, when Israel was in deep darkness. Israel, of course, if you know, uh, in the book of Judges, Israel is disjointed. They're in a bunch of clans. Everyone's separated. There's no united leader. Philistines, they are just dominating all of the landscape. But Samson. 
Samson was the one through whom salvation was going to start coming to Israel. Actually, look at verse 5. I'll read this verse just to get it in your mind's eye. This is the, the, the angel being uh, announcing the birth of Samson. He said, For behold, <coughs> chapter 13, verse 5, For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. This is what is coming with the birth of Samson. It's not just the birth of another judge or the birth of another boy. It's the, the birth of a savior, if you will. And through Samson, the sun, so to speak, would start shining again. If, if, Philistine, if, if Philistia sort of represented the darkness of Israel, Samson was going to have the sun start shining. And that's exactly what Samson means. His name literally means like the sun. So Samson's mission, so to speak, in life was to... Uh, Fulfill this hope of salvation. And I think this, this again is seen from what we just covered in verse 4 and 5. Which is he's set apart for the service of Yahweh by, by uh, being committed to this vow. The Nazarite vow. You can read about that if you want to know in Numbers chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. But this was a very religious, very holy vow that could be entered into voluntarily. And pledging to uphold it, though, was, uh, uh, was accompanied by all of these higher standards. You were supposed to and you were called to live to much, much higher standards of living, of decorum, of, of how you were carrying yourself. And I think it's important to understand this vow because this this vow that is here being announced by the angel that this is what he's going to be separated for. He's going to be set apart for this service. This is not just like an extra footnote, a, a little bit of extra detail uh, into the life of Samson. This vow is kind of central to understanding his story. Because uh, despite being blessed by God, being gifted by God, being chosen by God to serve God in this very spectacular way, Samson... As, we're, as you'll find out as you read, he was, very, he was very content with squandering all of those gifts and all of those blessings on himself. And in fact, that's the trajectory of Samson's life, is that he just wasted all of this on himself. He wasted all of that divine blessing and power on just sport. He played around with, with pleasure and with power just because he wanted to. He considered those things sort of play things that he was able to manipulate. He was able to enjoy on a whim or at his fancy. And in his eyes, in Samson's eyes, he was invincible. Which led him to act very flippantly with all of the things of, of God. He never took his vow very seriously. So you could say that Samson's ultimate weakness, if you will, was Samson himself. That's what you find out about Samson. His ultimate weakness was, was himself. And this, I think, is what the bulk of chapter 16 sort of reveals for us. If you're still there, go to chapter 16. And I want you to read, I'm gonna, we're just going to kind of skim through this. But in chapter 16, Samson's in his, he's in Gaza and he he starts to become infatuated with this prostitute in that city. Notice verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, and, and, and there he, he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson was, has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. 
They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait to the light of the morning. Then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. So uh, all of the men of the city, they become aware that Samson is there. His presence is uncovered. And so they start conceiving this plan to ambush him and kill him. But as we just read, Samson re- is aware of this. And even still, he waits until midnight. He waits around and he waits till midnight. And then he leaves and he takes all of the gate system with him. Just kind of proving a point. Don't mess with me. And he takes it up and takes it up to the mount uh, and just leaves it there, which sort of this embarrassing show of force that Samson kind of proves that he's better than these, these men from Gaza. And then from there, if you look at verse 4, and we'll not read these for the, the sake of time, but if you look at verse 4 down through verse 17, we are just told this winding story. Perhaps one of the more famous stories of Samson, the story of Samson and his love affair with Delilah. And it truly is this infatuation that he shares with, with Delilah. And it's actually, if you read these verses, it's kind of like a, just the most frustrating events. <laughs> because Delilah is there. She's basically employed by the Philistines to sort of seduce Samson. In order for them to uh, uncover where all of his great strength lies. Samson has been doing feats of strength all over the Philistine countryside. And embarrassing and shaming all of the Philistines greatest men. He's always putting them to shame. Always making them run away like a dog with his tail between his legs. That's what Samson's able to do. And of course the Philistines are just fed up with this. The Philistines don't like this one bit. They keep getting embarrassed They keep getting shamed. Samson keeps making them look like wimps. So now you have this moment in time where now the Philistines change their their, their scheme. They change their strategy. And instead now they're placing all of their hopes. One One of the weaknesses of Samson as we've seen, it's women. So they place all of their hopes on Delilah. They're putting all of their best. Look, we're going to shove all of our chips onto what Delilah can do. Essentially, that's what they're doing on her ability to sort of charm her way into getting Samson to reveal his secret. And this leads to this agonizing back and forth, if you will, between Samson and Delilah. Look at verse verse 6. We'll read a couple of these verses. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, if they bind me with the seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up, brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had, been lying, now she had men lying in ambush in, the inner, in an inner chamber, and she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax uh, snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not, owned, was not known, so to speak. And it goes on like this for quite some time. Back and forth they go. Samson tells her one thing, and it's not really true. And then she tries to ambush him, and then he breaks out of it. So they go back and forth multiple times, and he keeps lying about where his great strength lies. Over and over, Delilah is conspiring... 
in order to get him to reveal his secret so that the Philistines can ambush him and secure him and incarcerate him. And each time Samson is somehow able to come out on top. And I think, again, what, what do we see here? We see, yes, Samson is being witty. He's being compelling. He's being very alluring. But also, I think what we're seeing, too, is Samson being very, very casual, very fast and loose, very nonchalant to the fact that his, quote-unquote, secret is really this vow that he has been endowed with by God from his birth. He was given this vow from birth and he was ordained to maintain it. And all of this kind of leads, his, this very fast and loose approach, leads to this culminating scene. When finally Delilah plays the best card any female is able to play, it's the emotions card. Look at verse 15. Notice what she says. And she said to him, How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and yet you have not told me where your great strength lies. Basically saying, if you really love me, you're going to tell me where your secret is. Where does your strength come from? You see what she's doing? She is playing with Samson's emotions. And when she pressed him, these words. When she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Basically, she is nagging him, not leaving him alone. Samson, you don't really love me. Samson, if you really did love me, you would tell me. Samson, tell me where it is that it comes from. She's pressing him constantly with the fact that I guess you don't really love me. And then finally he gives in. Look at verse 17. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become as weak and be like any other man. So he divulges, he, he lets out the secret. The secret's in my hair, he says. The secret is, I have really long hair, and that's where my strength comes from. Which, of course, is just another indication that Samson has basically missed and misinterpreted his life's calling. Because Samson's strength is not in his hair. It was in his vow to God. The hair that he was growing is just an, an outward sort of demonstration of his inward devotion to the Lord. It was supposed to draw, this devotion was supposed to drive his actions to, to free Israel, to save Israel. It's not, you know, his hair is 16 inches long and that's what makes him strong. It's the fact that that was a demonstration of his heart being turned to Yahweh alone, to God alone. So again, he's, he's kind of missed the point. But then we also see that the cutting of his hair is a visible, very graphic representation of how Samson has now disregarded the very thing for which God had chosen him to do. So by saying that it's this hair and then it's getting cut off, by the, his hair getting cut off, we are to see it as a sign that he is basically casting off his vow. He's, he's rejecting it. He's, he's fully cutting off himself from what he had been called to do and everything that came with it. Look at verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, 
She sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made, them sleep on her, she made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she, be, then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And that's what brings us back to verse 21. When he's captured, he's seized, his eyes are gouged out, and he's brought into Gaza, and he's bound in bronze shackles, as it says, and he's made to grind at the mill in the prison. And now we have the full circle, the full tragic sort of circle of Samson's life story before us. Because the one, as we saw at the beginning, who was like the sun is now thrust into darkness. He cannot see. And Israel's supposed promised deliverer, the one through whom they would hope to be unshackled from all of their enemies, is now himself in shackles. And the very fearsome warrior who once used the jawbone of a donkey to slay a host of Philistine soldiers is now reduced to the function of a donkey. And the one who trifled with his calling to judge the Philistines in deliverance of his very own nation is now being paraded around like a court jester in the courts of the Philistines themselves. Look at verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. When the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them, and they made him stand between the pillars. They call him out, they paraded him around, and they just, he's he set to sort of play the clown fool in the court of all of these Philistines. And we have to ask ourselves, how did it, how did it end up like this? Because <laughs> as we saw, the contrast between Samson's life from how it began to how it ended is millions of miles apart. Because obviously this is not the way things were supposed to go. He was promised to deliver Israel, to be the one through whom salvation would begin to come to the land of Israel. So how did, it, how did we get here? Well, of course, the, the easiest answer is the most accurate answer when it comes to Samson. And the easiest answer is pride. Samson's tragic story is showing us all of the horrible effects of pride in the heart of man. And he's brought to this low end because his own conceit, his own self-absorption, his own hubris, his own pride got in the way. And all of his feats of strength, those super heroic uh, escapades that he was able to accomplish, they led them to believe that he was strong, that he was sufficient in and of himself. And he failed then to go to war with the world. And instead, he kind of played around and made his bed with, with pride and with pleasure and with, with prostitutes. This is what pride does. 
It leads you to be very flippant with what God's word says, with what it calls you to do, with what it leads you to to believe and to stand for and defend. It causes you to be very nonchalant, be very careless, fast and loose with what God's word says. And therefore, as soon as you determine that your strength is your strength is what's bringing about your success, you're setting yourself up to repeat this plunge that Samson has just gone on. You see, the point is, is the point that Samson was supposed to see is that you are not strong, nor are you sufficient in and of yourself. And that's really good news. Samson had to learn this the hard way. Every time you see one of those super heroic feats being accomplished at Samson's hands, you'll always find the phrase, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. That's where his strength came from. That's where all of his ability came from. It wasn't him. It wasn't Samson's, you know, body mass index. It wasn't the fact that he had like a 10% body fat and so he was super strong. No, it wasn't that. It was the fact that the Spirit of God was with him. It wasn't Samson. So as, the, as we look at the end of his life, the Philistines are celebrating their supposed deliverance by Samson's capture. And they compound his shame by leading him into the middle of this courtyard and they're mocking him, they're jeering at him, they're making fun of him. And then he's positioned between two pillars. And with all of that noise, all of that laughing, all of that carousing, all of that mockery ringing in his ears, what does he do? He starts to pray. Verse 26. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. He's tired. He's exhausted. He is a shell of himself. Verse 27, now the house was full of women and men. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. He prays. He prays a prayer of deep humiliation. He's realized his tragic fall. He's realized uh, what a shame he has made of his own life. But it's also a, a prayer that hints that he finally understood That his strength was actually a gift. It wasn't his own ability. He prays, God, fill me with strength once more, as he he basically says. And in fact, we're given a hint at this back in verse 22. Verse 22 says this, But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And again, this verse is a small little clue to say that this verse is not there to, uh, to confirm the idea that the strength is in his hair. It's there to confirm that, that however feebly, however weakly, he had begun to remember his vow again. And that's what leads to this prayer. He prays to God, the only God who can only deliver any sinner from sin. And he prays to him and then he presses against these pillars and he cries out to God to let him be useful. Look at verse 30 or verse 29. Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. 
And then he bowed with all his strength. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. That's the ultimate end of Samson's time as a judge in Israel. That his death was more useful than his life. Because of pride. Pride got in the way. Samson was supposed to be the deliverer of Israel from out of the bondage of the Philistines. And yet, his death accomplished more to do that than his own life did. But I think what a comforting thing is here is that even as far away as Samson had strayed, God still hears his prayer. As far away as Samson had been from where God had called him, he prays to God and God hears him. And once more, he's infused with that strength of the spirit and he brings down the house quite literally. Which I think, again, lets us know that however far we've fallen, God hears us. And yet for Samson, he was made here to learn in a very graphic way what it means to actually serve God. Service for God doesn't involve pride. It doesn't involve the exaltation of ourselves. Service for God means death. Maybe not sometimes literally, but it's death to yourself. Death to your wants. Death to your desires. Death to your plans. Death for your schemes of how your life should work. And in that sense, I think Samson here points us to the true and better Samson to come. Because as we noted, Samson's final act of sacrificial service, it kind of points us to the Son of God, who came not to be served, but to serve. As Jesus himself says in Mark 10, 45, he sums up his ministry with that very statement, that I have not come to be served, pride. I have come to serve, to lay my life down. You see, whereas Samson very reluctantly served the Lord in his death, Christ Jesus quite willingly accepted and embraced the death of the cross in order to bring salvation into the world. That's the true and better Samson. An old English theologian, Robert Harker, he says it like this, Samson died to crush his enemies with him, but Jesus died for his enemies to have life. And here, that's what we're made to see out of Samson's life story. Because whereas Samson might have been promised to begin the work of delivering Israel from their enemies, the true and better Samson, Jesus, brings that work to completion. Because remember at his birth, what's announced? Matthew one twenty one: she, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. See, he's the ultimate Samson, the ultimate judge and deliverer, the only one who comes with grace and truth in his hands and who can actually bring about true salvation for the people of God. This is Samson's life. It's a life of tragedy. But in it, we're made to see the hope that Jesus brings. Let us pray.